This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. You know you've made it in the world of indie heavy metal podcasting when the great Eric Rutan from Cannibal Corpse, Morbid Angel, Hate Eternal, Ripping Corpse and Alas does your promo for you. Beyond flattered, I must say. The interview subject that I have prepared for you on this instalment of the show is Marcus Grosskopf. He's the bassist in long-running German power metal outfit Halloween. The catalyst for the chat with Marcus is the release of the band's second self-titled album. So they released a self-titled album way back in the 80s. This is the second one, but it's not the same album. It's a different album, New Tunes. It'll be out on June 18th, 2021, and it is an absolute cracker. I'm not going to give away too much in the introduction because I want you to have a listen to what Marcus has to say throughout the chat, but there are two former members that have returned, and that's why this album is so special. In addition to talking about the album and the reunion with the two former members, as many of you who are long-time listeners to the show will know, I certainly go there and Marcus and I cover a whole bunch of ground on other topics. So here he is, Marcus Grosskopf from Halloween. Marcus, bass player extraordinaire, how are you, sir? Can you, can you hear me? I can, loud and clear, yeah. Uh, all yeah. right, all right. <laughs> How's things? How's things going? Other, you know, all things considered, mate. You're in uh, your fortieth year in the music industry. So, how how has uh, things been treating you recently, especially with COVID? Uh, well, well, life's treating me very good. But then, um, uh, even in the COVID times, but in this crazy times, but then I'm privileged in a way because we can we can stand it. We can we can take it a little more uh, before we start working again and then we got the record out and all this uh it's just that we cannot go out touring you know for me it's okay i mean i would like to go but i can survive but i got loads of friends playing in in small bands playing top 40 music Mm. you know they they need to go out each they need to go out each weekend to 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 get their fees to pay their rents and if they don't play most of them most of the time they work like in bars and stuff like this mm-hmm. but even that was closed so they they have like two possibilities and both of them are are you know cancelled so some people are really really in danger mm. Do you think not Merkel's- only for the virus also for like their their, their income and their uh, uh, daily life routine that's the issue that has been most overlooked and is now most pressing in in the Western yeah. Hemisphere, so across Australia, the United States and Europe, is that these leaders like Merkel have locked down populations and it's it's very bad in Canada at the moment, I understand, and people can't earn a living. So it's forcing yeah. them under welfare. It's, it's, there will be a big change. Loads of bars and shops are going to be closed after... Uh, after a while, you know, and well, there need to be. There's probably a big change of other people jumping in, doing something different, you know, what whatsoever. Well, when it comes to you guys, you, you've made a good point already, which is that you are firmly established. New band, new bands, I think, are going to find it extremely difficult to gain a foothold because when it comes when it comes to heavy metal, it must be played live. The album. It's the rock and roll life business. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to have an album, and you've had plenty of great ones, but your live performances—that's the true ball pit, and that's that's the that's the yardstick in which heavy metal and rock fans determine whether or not a band is worthy. And you know that because God knows how many gigs that you've done, but you've perfected the art. So you're now 19 albums deep, and into a 40-year career in the music business under the Halloween moniker. You're known and adored globally as the band that unlocked the combination of the speed of speed and fury of thrash and the melody of 70s hard rock greats such as Deep Purple. And you've been there since the very start. So to get this far and to have made a career playing heavy metal, do you feel a sense of is it relief that you could, you could do it, or is it accomplishment? 
is uh, I don't know. It's just like now. It seems like uh, uh, with the years, it, it, it of course becomes like a natural uh, process you're doing. You know, it's your mm. life, and you don't know anything else anymore. So for for us, it becomes very, very. It became a very, very natural and natural part of life doing this and creating this because you never do anything else you know but still I'm thankful that I'll be able doing it you know I should be uh, God should immediate strike me with a lightning if I would ever complain about what I'm doing you know <laughs> it's but still it, it becomes a very natural part of it like the touring mm. life is 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 very sometimes it can be very exhausting for somebody who doesn't who who does it for the very first time it can yes. be very very uh, uh dangerous health wise but but once you're used to it it's a part of your life you know and yeah it, it becomes a lifestyle hanging around on airports talking to people sitting down waiting for a gig and then writing songs going into the studio is just like as normal as you uh, do your daily job just because with a with a lot more variation you know <laughs> but yeah. but it feels like right it feels like it's a part of you and well you have to you're lucky when you find something even if you don't do music you're very lucky when you find something to work on that that you that that feels great you know i know also a lot of people doing a job just because of the they need money but they don't really like their job as much yeah. you know that, that must be a cruel life and i can understand when people uh feel that it's very very exhausting and yeah getting problems with it you know yeah, well, you get it, Marcus. Then, if you from from the sounds of things, that for most people, life is a grind, and you're you're leading the dream. That's certainly a dream that I had as a kid that never materialised. But I ne I didn't think it would because it's one in a million to become a professional bass guitarist, like what you've been able to do, and you are the one in yeah. a million. But but look, when you're touring. I mean, like in a band, you're more or less a professional tourist. To to your point, there, you're in airports and you're in transit lounges, you're on airplanes in hotel rooms. Was the 2017 tour did that did that tell you that you could get back together with your long lost comrades Kai Hansen and Michael Kiske, and that yeah. you, you were able to tolerate each other on that level? And was that the catalyst for you guys then making the decision to come together for this self titled album? This was like very well prepared. It wasn't. It wasn't an idea. Uh, calling them up and asking them, should we do some rehearsal tomorrow? And then uh, talking about a tour the day after tomorrow. It was like it needed pre preparation years before that. When Kai came on tour with us for the Hell of Rock Part One and Two, you know, those mm. two legs. It, it felt already like he's never been gone before. So yep. we. We were talking about it a little here, a little there. The idea kind of grow, and we gave us a lot of time to let them to let these ideas kind of develop in our heads before we ask Michael, you know. And we came to the conclusion it would be it would be kind of stupid after all those years, because we knew Michael has changed a little. We were talking to him, not about reunion, but then in private. Hmm. here and there because we met him on a festival with Avantasia uh, we came to the conclusion that it's going to be stupid not 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 even trying it you know just give it a try that's why we started off uh, uh, with a tour and not with a record not with an album on tour you can be uh, together on stage during the show and if for some horrible reason something is not working you can go back to the hotel do the next tour do the, yeah. do the next show and then saying goodbye you know that that is that can be possible on tour uh, thank god it was not that way thank god where the understanding was great we felt like very familiar after a while everything was very fine but if you find out in a studio in the middle of a creative process that you kind of not able to work together or something is in the air you know you never know then it's it, it it's the, the more harder part to get the record done having problems in the, in the middle of the creative process in the studio is very very rough 
then you have to finish the record. I mean, that's why we started with the tour, finding out, okay, this is yeah. cool. Mm. Uh, with that feeling we created on tour, we can easily go into the studio working on another album, you know. That was the idea, and it was working out very well, I have to say. It, it felt all very right. Hmm. Yeah, so for, for people who don't know, Kai Hansen was on guitars and vocals uh, back and he left in 1989. And Michael yeah. Kiske is the vocalist who left in 1993. Now, this always happens. Jason Newstead was called the new guy in Metallica. Andy is occasionally referred to yeah, as the yeah. new guy in Halloween, even though he's been the group's bloody singer for 27 years. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> this is what happens. But but you've now got three three lead. I don't know. You can sing, so you've got three lead vocalists. Plus, you've got very capable backing vocalists. So, how did you agree on who was going to sing what you know, on the new album? Uh- I really don't know. It, that was very, very interesting part of the production that I was not involved into uh, into the decision who's singing what part and who's singing what song, who singer's going to sing here or there. I was just doing the bass guitars and then listening back. It, uh, I, I, we were all there creating of parts of, re-anging, uh, uh, of arranging and composing and pre-projectioning that whole thing. But when we started off, there was never clear whose who singer is going to put on the voice on, 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 on here or there, you know. Hmm. I, I was very, very surprised listening to the, to, the, to the mix because I didn't know how they decided. I mean, they, they hooked up with the producers and there's three singers and... Uh, who else was there I was not there when they decided so it became a very very big surprise to me listening to the very first mix you know hmm okay yeah (laughs) that's interesting yeah what that says to me is that you were trusting the process of course you cannot do that's why you have producers that's why even this time we had a co-producer Dennis Ward in there he was Mm -hmm. also there when we were like arranging stuff thinking about the stuff uh, and we were throwing ideas to each other while he was there and he was kind of thoughting out what's the best for the song because you have a lot more ideas with seven people suddenly you you, if you try something out there's seven people throwing notes at you that you're supposed to try out you know Mm. until your head is steaming you know <laughs> and they're all good ideas but there must be somebody saying all right this is the best for the song this is very good for a bass part or a guitar part but for the song we need this and that atmosphere or this and that note because there's a vocal on the top and maybe there's coming some solo stuff to it or some guitar lines so it all needs to be sorted you know in a way and there you need to find the best notes uh, that you can hit for for the song, you know, and not for the individual part in a way. That was kind of complicated. It makes your head steaming, but it was a real interesting creative process. So it doesn't matter whether you're you're a, a band working on your debut or a seasoned veteran such as yourselves working on your nineteenth studio album, and God knows how many other releases in between. The process of determining. What fits where never changes, does it? To your point, it never. That's my point. It never really changes. But having two more people in in a band uh, coming up with loads and loads of ideas uh, doesn't make it easier. It makes it even tougher. But it's in the end of the day, it's it's all worth it. You know, listening back to the results, uh, showing you that we did the right thing. You know. Mm, Yeah. Hey, look, I've got to ask: Did the album leak? Because it's not in my Nuclear Blast portal, and I had to search online for Skyfall. But I did find a YouTube upload of the song that you wrote, Indestructible. Now, I'm assuming it's a song that you wrote, Indestructible, because I've got the bio. But do you, do you know about that, that there's a version of Indestructible on YouTube? Oh, what, what, what version of it was? What, like a demo tape version or...? No, it looks no. like, look, because I haven't heard the album version, I can only assume that it is, but I'll send it through to you soon via... Um, oh, all right. Yeah, hang on a sec. I'll just send it through to you now because, yeah, I was a bit... I, don't, I mean, God knows, these things come out, don't they? And you think, okay. Um, yeah, well, I, I don't know where they got it from. I mean, we had like an online release 
Uh, weren't you there? I don't know who. who no, who I wanted. I left. wanted to be, but I've got. I've got young kids these days. You see, mm. and it's it's very hard for me to. You, you can never tell how these things are coming together, mm. and you know you can also not prevent things like this. It's just like an open net, and you cannot really waste your time looking for the one who 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 does it yeah. because mm. you will not. You will not get any information about it, wasting your time trying with no results coming out of it, you know. I mean, things like this just happen. It's the Internet. It's uncontrollable. Mm. It's even more dangerous than the virus that we have now <laughs> in yeah, a way sometimes. you're not wrong it's just shit because you guys work so hard on what you're doing and then uh, yeah. it's uh, look if this is the cut I, I just sent it through to you by the way via Skype there on the messenger service but uh, if this really? is the cut man it's because <laughs> I've only heard that now the the, uh, the two songs man this is mm-hmm. this this album here is going to be one of your strongest in many years dude you know Oh, yeah, thank you. We were trying to, well, we were not trying to copy the Keeper's stuff or anything, mm. but Kai came up with that song, with that epic song idea, and we thought, well, why not giving it a try, you know? Why not trying to make the best out of it? And it, and he just came up with that killer track. We would be stupid not to do this, you know? Yeah. Who came up with the Skyfall video concept? Uh, that was like Kai, Kai's idea combined with the producer's uh, 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 arrangements and all that stuff, you know. Mm. Because it's it's of course the lyrics are giving you an idea, and the little guy crashing uh, onto crashing down onto that area fifty one, and it gives you an idea, and that's what they were following, you know. Yeah, it's it's a great video, by the way. And uh, do do you guys? How important over the years have videos been to what the band's philosophy is all about? Because you've always had pretty bloody good videos as far back as the 80s. Mm, it's, it's, I think it was even more important when this MTV heavy metal hot rock thing in the 80s mm. was born, you know. Nowadays you put it, it it's, it's a part of the, of, 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 the, of the great rock and roll show. It's a part of the internet. It's a part of the whole... A promotional concept, you know. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's important to have to show the people. All right, yeah, especially right now, where there isn't any chance to to go out to the people playing live. At least they have something they can they can watch if they like. Mm. And uh, until they until we come back on tour and there's uh, there's a little lyric video video coming out. There's yeah. probably more lyric videos coming out for a couple of more tracks. And I think it's very very important in times like these, uh, where where people wait for you, where people waiting to go out to the shows. You know. Mm. Oh yeah, it's it's an absolute or must. a little yeah. hello in between. Mm. Yeah, it is, and and it's something that people like to. Uh, we all scroll through our phones before we're going to bed, and it's pretty cool to see a video like that from you guys, yeah. <laughs> just to get just to help you sort of lull, go into a lullaby, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. I know what you mean. It's, it's yeah. cool. I like it a lot. <laughs> I, I love the album artwork by Eliran Cantor too, because um, I, I sorry, I don't know whether that's a male or a female, so I'm going to make an assumption here. It's a bloke. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he worked with Hate Eternal, Eric Rutan, Represent, fantastic musician, Eric, and uh, Max and Soulfly, amongst many others. But what inspired you to, to go with Ellie Rand for the album artwork? I think some some band member had the idea, and then he's been contacted th- through the management, and he he gave us a little uh, a little scale of what he think it's supposed to be, or we gave him the keeper stuff, and uh, we were telling him about what we think uh, we we had in mind, but that's kind of Skyfall related thing with the wings and all that kind of stuff mm. how it can be combined with the Keeper and the Halloween concept in a, in general and I think he did a classical great job it looks like that old 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 fashioned kind of picture you know and it's it's very traditional in a way very I like it a lot a cla- very classical piece mm. 
It is, and I've just changed my artwork for the podcast too to a more classical, classically inspired piece of artwork, and I, I think it marries up very well with what you guys are doing. So, uh, so awesome choice. But um, I, look, I'm a bassist, and, and I love your bass playing. By the way, I've got to say, I am influenced by oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> thank um, you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when I when I first heard "Where the Rain Grows" back in the day, and. Oh, yeah. Steve Harris is one thing. He's got oh, he's yeah, massive influence, of course, and inspiration. But I felt like as though when I heard what you were doing, I loved your use, and I still do love your use of fifths and octaves, particularly the octave works that you do, because I don't think anybody else truly does that in heavy metal. A lot of people think I've tried to do it in, I wouldn't call them metal bands, but new metal bands, this sort of thing. And a lot of people said, no, nah, it sounds too poppy or sounds too much like disco, but you do it so beautifully. So so when you're writing a bass line, do you have something in mind before you start playing? And, you know, you've obviously got your own technique or there's the old classic thing about writing for the song, but you're you, you're, you're Marcus, so you can only be who you are. So when you're adding a bass line to a song, tell me what goes through your head. It's like, um, uh, first of all, you gotta watch, you gotta listen carefully to the songs and also to what the singer is doing, what the other instrument are doing. And you gotta find the space for it. You cannot play too many notes where they are a lot of notes already, or you follow them by harmonies uh, through what's possible between two or three octaves or something. Or the song sometimes is telling you like the mass pollution kind of song mm. this 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 song are, are more here like a straightforward kicking the ass right in the face type of thing right so the song inspires you for what it really needs and it's actually asking for something that that it fits and there's different very different songs from Waiki for example he's coming up with that crazy ideas with that crazy notes everywhere mm. and that gives me the possibility to 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 hit note hit many notes in a row in a row that's still fitting his harmonies and still fitting the songs because he likes his songs very very busy which is always like very challenging mm -hmm. not easy to find out what's cool for the song but it helps a lot to to trigger my inspiration you know it's it's always like not easy to find what the song really needs sometimes you also can play too much it sounds good for the bass but it doesn't really fit the song you know mm. it's it's a very very thin line of playing something very cool that's uh, jumping out a little where people can say oh there's some listen to that oh but you gotta be careful that it's not uh, over overtaking the whole song you know it still needs to yeah. fit the song I guess that's you always my, my aim yeah and you, you've always written very tasteful bass lines it must be said but you've always found a way to be heard which literally can be, can be said for about three or four other bass players in power metal the bass in power metal and, and that style of music that you guys are doing is typically so marginalised it might as well not be there same thing with death metal, yeah. you know, but but you found a way to be heard. So do, do, you, do you put that down to your influences or even the choice of bass? Because I'm pretty sure you're a jazz bass player, aren't you? <laughs> well, I, the bass guitars I'm playing is mostly, of course, precision and jazz basses. Mm. <laughs> I played yep. a very old... I played a very old 64 jazz bass for the faster stuff you can hear on the record. Okay. And I played a, 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 a 72 uh, precision bass on some of the uh, songs that are not that fast. Uh, and it cuts through very well. I had my Sandberg basses that I was playing over there as well. And the, this combination just does it you know we, we mm. tried uh, all my basses and those three bass guitars just came out as like the best and well I had my influences I, uh, of course I remember when I started off uh, listening to metal when the very first Iron Maiden record came out I of course remember falling off the chair when I heard what, uh, what Steve Harris was doing you mm. know later on I became like a big geezer butler fan and uh 
Free is a great bass player, you know. Marcus Miller are very great. But awesome. yep. then I was listening back to the stuff John Entwistle was doing with The Who, and I became amazed not only by what he was playing, also by the, the way he, he was setting up his sound. It was so aggressive and so macho type of sound that I thought, wow, this is something very, very special. So he became my favorite bass player of all times, you know. Yeah, he, he's he's in a league of his own, John Entwistle, because yeah, yeah. Of, of course when I was growing up I just thought The Who were an oldies band, you know, the band that your parents listened to. But I've since the YouTube generation has come come into play, with since we've had access to YouTube, I mean by that, I've been able to see a lot mm-hmm. of the live performances. Yeah, he's incredibly aggressive, but I think a lot of his sound is made possible by those Alembic basses. If he didn't play Alembic, I don't know, you know, that hard overdrive that he's got? Because there was yeah. it was fairly rudimentary back in the back in the sixties and seventies. He he could certainly shred, there was no doubt. But you, you, you like a lot of bases shred, but you can't bloody hear what they're doing with him. He's he's almost as prominent. Actually, I will say he's as prominent as Pete Townsend. It's it's a very unusual setup in a in a band that more or less came out of the ashes of the Beatles era. Yeah, it, it's it, it's amazing how how he you doesn't need it doesn't really need a rhythm guitar or something. It's mm. just him and the guitar player. And by the way, Pete Townsend is a hell of a songwriter. You know, mm. Phenomena and Tommy, Phenomena and Tommy is just like uh, great great stuff. You know, it's so written well and there's space for the bass actually. Mm. You know, I I I love it a lot. Mm. Yeah, same here. So these days, definitely. And, and that, yeah, there's there's many other bass players I like, like Marcus Miller and all those guys. They're playing amazingly cool, amazingly uh, tight. You know, uh, I'm just I'm just more of an aggressive heart. But those players are really really on the track. But the sound John Entwistle created was amazing. Amazed me because he was like very aggressive and macho type of bass. Here I am. Eat eat this, you know. Mm. I, yeah, I, I get it. I, yeah, I was really impressed. I get what you're saying. One one of my favorite bassists is uh, Nathan East, who performed on Footloose. Yeah, he's a great great player. My God, isn't he a monster? Oh man, uh, uh, this is something really, really different. They come from a rather uh, uh, very, very different Jesse's. Uh, 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 how, how do you say? A progressive type of music. I'm actually coming from the punk, directly jumping into the heavy metal. That background is more aggressive is right? in a way. There you go. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like like nice and sleazy from the Stranglers and all that, you know. When I heard that the mm-hmm. very first time, that, that was my kind of where I'm coming from. And then going, and I'm not that jazzy type of bass player. Although I I find it very interesting and very cool listening to it and very groovy. But I'm not that that kind of player. I was trying to combine some stuff like this into the metal, which is sometimes like John Myung does. He's doing oh, yeah. a very, very great job, you know, because he's definitely coming from that fusion jazzy kind of music. And I'm trying to do something really interesting, but actually my roots are more in the punk and in the rock scene, so to speak. I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Jean-Jacques Brunel uh, from The Stranglers because yeah. I actually interviewed him. And, uh, oh, right. my, yeah, he's, he's uh, my God, as a bassist, his material is some of the hardest to replicate that I've ever tried because he, he I think he uses a pick, doesn't he? But his bass lines, are, he, he's very similar to Pete, uh, not Pete Townsend, um, John Entwistle, in that he was one of those guys that I dismissed as a young fella. And do you remember those bass guitar magazines that used to be released at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s? They used to come with an instructional CD. Do you remember that? Uh, no, no, I, no, no. Uh, I, I, well, I never wrote, I never read this, and I, I just, I just don't know it. Uh, well, what, what it is is that they used to come with an instructional CD, and more often mm-hmm. than not, you have guys like Jean Jacques and also Bruce Foxton from the Jam as well. And yeah. I mean, these guys were monster players, but a lot of it was buried. Or in Jean Jacques Brunel's case, it definitely wasn't buried, but. 
I, I found that I found that I was able to get into the guys that I just mentioned, and also the big one, Phil Linnett, and his bass yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, I, I like him a lot because not only for his bass playing, he's also I call him the the most romantic songwriter in rock and roll because he can write all this hardrock kind of metro stuff, typeish stuff, mm. but still being very very romantic in a way he does his songs that's a combination I kind of love a lot you know what he mm. does with Black Rose and all that stuff and Renegade and, and all his uh, a lot of his stuff is very romantic in a, in a very very heavy way that's a yeah. good combination yeah I've, I've had a chat to Scotty Gorham of course from Thin Lizzy and Black Star mm-hmm. Riders these days about him and, uh, and look yeah. my, my, my opinion is that Phil Leonard is the greatest rock and roll and heavy metal front man of all time he, he just has a very special quality that I just don't think has ever been replicated yeah and I, and I still wonder I mean that the Thunder and Lightning was like more heavy than the other albums in a modern heavy way and mm. I was thinking of, about you know what this guy would have done when he was still alive you know he was like a killer a killer on on songwriting a killer on the bass a killer as a front guy you know it's it's just so sad yeah it's just like you know it is it is and I've, i've said this a few times to people it's you get kind of emotional when you think about how young Phil was when he died because I'm I'm now almost 10 10 years clear of the age that he was when he died and Mm -hmm. You, you think, man, to your exact point there, how much great music to be miss out on? Yeah, that's that's what that's exactly what I thought. Mm. And I, I think it's a shame, but you know, that's that's life. So that's that's mm. life in rock and roll. So close, and and in general, it's so close to death mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> it is. Hey, hey look, I'm, I'm going to change topic because here's a subject that I've always I, I've, I've asked. Guys like Schmier and Destruction, and 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 guys like guys like yourself that have been around the block a few times, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, so here mm-hmm. goes. When Nirvana broke in 1991, grunge took over the rock and roll universe. Did you get any pressure to change the band's sound back then? Uh, no, I don't really. We changed sound because of Nirvana doing something very, very different, and everybody was just like jumping on that track. And suddenly, heavy metal wasn't, and long hair, and leather pants, and spandex pants, and all that kind of heavy metal routine was suddenly uh, pretty uncool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I really don't I really don't blame this guy for what he does because what he does, I liked the first records. I thought, well, this is kind of really cool because it was like very punky in a way. Yeah. And because because I know that kind of attitude coming from the punk, you know? And I thought there's something coming reminding me of the punk attitude, you know. Kiss my ass, I'm doing what I want and and, and I'm I'm wearing what I want, I'm playing what I want, and anything else I I just don't care about. That was that attitude and he 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 was trying to bring across, I guess, you know. And he mm. did it very, very well. And so I kinda loved that record too. What I just didn't understood was just like people go for it. And then saying, oh, ah, heavy metal now is not cool anymore. Because for me, it was like, my feeling was more like, there is space enough for everything, you know? Why why not listening to this? Why you, why you still like the old stuff, you know? You, you don't put it in a bin just because something else is coming up, you know? I don't think there was a wrong attitude for 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 bringing up a new style of music or whatsoever what he did which was cool and I liked the record but I never understood why people went for it by uh, blaming something they 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 were living before you know I, I, I always yeah. thought there, there is space for everything you know being open to music I was I was a teenager back then. It was ridiculous. It was like uh, all these uh, great bands, such as yourself. You know, Australia is very different yeah. to Germany, as you can appreciate. More more trend driven in Australia, and of course, Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, they all have merits in their own right. But they, to your exact point, it doesn't have to become their popularity doesn't have to come at the expense of all these great heavy metal bands. And I was a big thrash yeah. head, right? So when when you couldn't get 
Testament albums and uh, or easy, you couldn't find them. You actually couldn't get Testament or Exodus or uh, yeah. even underground stuff like Possessed. You could never find. You had to wait for the reissues to come out. But it was a very strange era, and I think yeah. a lot of a lot of young people don't understand how strange it truly was. Meaning, young people who weren't got- there. I, I think a lot of them got confused because a lot of people told them, no, I never had long hair. I was never listening to that kind of uh, funny uh, heavy metal <laughs> music, you know. But they were just like, you know, trying to be something else, which was wrong. I mean, to me, music is music. If it's good, if it's cool, then why not listening to it? But give this, give space to to everything, you know. I mean, hmm. I'm a great Stray Cat fans as, fan as well, and I just... <laughs> the, time, so. yeah. the time being off now gave me the chance to buy an upright right bass and and rehearse <laughs> cool. that stuff a lot you know I was trying I'm never get, I'll never be on that level but at least I try and I, I would never probably uh, use it for Halloween but uh, to, 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 to get the chance to get the time to rehearse it just playing around for myself uh, it's just so much fun and it's a different technique and and, and it increases my musical understanding you know why not make a space for everything why why uh, uh, creating a new thing by killing the old thing you know yeah absolutely but I've got to say there were there was there were two countries in the world that never let go of the heavy metal flame. It was always strong. One was Mexico. The other one was Germany. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Your your home country, mm. Germany. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, Saxon, I, I checked the records here, and I, I couldn't tell you what year it was, but it was the early to mid nineties. Saxon played something like nine or ten dates in the country when they probably couldn't have bought a ticket to a concert in England yet. In in Germany, Germany remains strong, true, faithful, and extremely loyal to heavy metal. So do you you have a perspective on why why German fans are, if you like, the true keepers of the flame of diehard heavy metal? Um, because they they once they have a band they're proud of you know they had Michael Schenker and the Scorpions and a couple mm-hmm. of more bands like this and once they're proud of something they never probably let it go you know <laughs> even though the, the, the shows we did there they weren't as sold out as before but there was still a lot of people with it you know and they they, they just kind of keep the faith once they grab something that's I've never had I've never had anybody explain it that way because I've asked that question a bit and that makes so much sense because as you know ACDC are from Australia so yeah, that yeah. that mm-hmm. type of balls to the wall rock and roll has always got a home in Australia but I hadn't joined the dots now I've spoken to Michael a bunch of times and I've had to explain to Michael because I don't think he realized that he is one of the true godfathers of all heavy metal that came after him because of his influence on Dave Mustaine and James Hetfield when they were starting Metallica. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? That, that was who? Michael Schenker. Michael Schenker, yeah, I, yeah. I definitely know what you're talking about. Uh, I heard him with UFO and then starting off his own career, which was amazing, the first couple of records, you know. That was the time when I, when I started off. Uh, coming from the punk into slowly over ACDC into Michael Schenker UFO and that stuff. He's getting out of UFO, building his own career, Michael Schenker group. You know, that, that was something that was, you know, that was never there before. It was a time also when Ozzy Osbourne did his very first solo albums. It was a lot of... Uh, bands that you know from before broke and there was parts of them bands doing their own records like Ozzy Osbourne and Michael Schenker and they were very 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 good music it was just like a very great new beginning for us you know that was actually the time we started off doing music and that kind of lifted us and that kind of you know gave us gave us some inspiration yeah I've had a chat to Bob Daisley about his time in Aussie because he wrote those albums. People people uh-huh. don't necessarily understand that, but that was his songwriting. His and Randy's. And Lee Kerslake too, I've got to say. Aussie didn't write music and he didn't write lyrics either. He just came up with a couple of melodies here and there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking about one of the most seminal albums there in Blizzard of Oz and 
I also love Diary of a Madman, especially the track Little yeah, Dolls, yeah. because it's got that yeah. that soul, yeah. funky soul bass line that mm-hmm. Bob put on it. You know, so much music came from that afterwards. A bit like Michael, isn't it? It's uh, they're like the uh, yeah. they're like the Genesis chapter in the Bible, if you like. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a very good bass player, Bob Daisley. I loved him so much. I saw him a couple of times live when he, when Ozzy was uh, with the Monsters of Rock shows around oh, yeah. and stuff like this. It's, it's just fantastic player, you know, playing mm-hmm. this old wooden Fender precision bass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him back when he did the Living Loud thing back in 2004 with Jimmy Barnes singing. Yeah. And he had Steve Morse on guitar Jimmy as Barnes, well. It's, I, I like Jimmy Barnes. He, coming from Cold Chisel, right? Absolutely, he's Cold got, Chisel. He's got, he, he's got a killer voice. When when they did songs like K-San and, and stuff like this, the, the cool. Very good, very good. And then he started his own career. I got a couple of records. Well, you get it, brother. Yeah, I play that music. Nice, That's very nice. I, I play. Very I play well. in a well. I play in a bar band, and I've got to play a lot of those songs and uh, songs like uh, yeah. Bow Bo River and uh, K Sandy. Bow River, there and Bo River is a killer. Yeah. Yeah, forever now. Um, and if ever gets the feeling, it never that song never stops. It just carries on forever. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. A, it's very well done. There's a killer live video when they played rock. Is it Rock Palast? Is that what it's called? Sorry, my my. You know, I'm an Australian native, Australian native English speaker. So, but the um, the video program that was in Europe, it might have been Germany or Holland, I can't remember. I think it was called Rock Palast. I don't know whether that rings a bell, but anyway. Rock Palast, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were on that. Check out that video of them, of Cold Chisel playing on Rock Palast in, on YouTube. Oh, all right. That must have been in the 70s, right? I th- it must have been, yeah, yeah. Incredible performance. Yeah, yeah. So just <laughs> Ian yeah. Moss. Ian Moss is just such a fantastic guitarist. And yeah, uh, yeah. such a killer light. Like they're an Australian pub band, you see. They're just an Australian pub band doing what they do in a pub, but on a very big stage. Yeah, but I like the band a lot. And I like when when he came out, out with his own records, uh, uh, I, I like them too. He's got just, he, he's just got that killer voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jimmy Which I Barnes. like a lot. Yeah. Let me ask yeah. you this then. I'm going to change gears for a sec again. What are, you th- what are your thoughts on Chameleon all these years later? Well, <laughs> Chameleon is, sounds very, very different from all the other Halloween stuff you you know. Mm. <laughs> of course, <Yes>. everybody <laughs> sees that. And at the time, we, we were in the weird state uh, of band members are changing their minds and uh, we had little fights and those little fights get bigger and bigger and different opinions about what Halloween's supposed to be and all that kind of stuff you have in the band not agreeing but still being in the studio uh, having to finish a record you know and but in the end of the day you know after all those years it's kind of very very interesting to have it in the back catalogue you know and we even survived our own chameleon you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'd agree I think it falls into the same category as a cold lake or an elude divinum insanus from uh, Morbid Angel in that that I, I don't understand why fans are so critical you know i mean yeah, it's, I mean, it's not, I, yeah you I, go sorry. i can understand when you when you when you're a big fan of like the walls of jericho and like uh, uh the the first mini lp we brought out mm. and then listening and then right after you listen to an album called chameleon from halloween then it sounds like two very very different bands right so i can understand what people what 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 actually Walter Jericho fan didn't like on the Chameleon album, you know? But as a musician, it's kind of interesting still having it now in your back catalogue, you know? It's very different, of course. It it, it was confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I, I I wasn't a fan of the band at the time that it came out. I became a fan a little bit afterwards. But uh, I've look, I've listened to the album a couple of times, and I've got to tell you, I find a lot to like about it. But I think that I understand, like fans have expectations when albums are released. It's just these idiots who weren't around back then to understand what the yeah. context of that release was it's, about who still carry on about it now. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It might be a great record from a band not be called Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, look, you're entitled to experiment for, and do, do what you do. Yeah. So, so here's yeah, another question. Well, 
But here's another question for you on a similar line because, you know, Queenstrike have got their Operation Mind Crime and I think that it can be a bit of a burden, you know, like so is is the Keeper of the Seven Keys the concept and the album series? Could Can that be a bit of a burden for the band? Well, everybody's every, everybody will compare you to this two albums your lifetime, and that can be all right if you is you're always scared if you do like a long song like Skyfall or something or in 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 the past albums with Andy we had songs like seven eight minutes long not mm. related to the keeper story you're always be compared to that and people might think oh well they didn't reach the level from the keeper albums but then we really didn't try to do this you know we tried to do a real cool song but then still be related to that which is yeah you once you it's it's like the ghosts you were calling in a way mm-hmm. Which is okay, you gotta live with it, but it's very cool albums. But then you gotta live with it and try and you you, you you set yourself a level that you gotta fulfill in a way, you know? And this this puts the level very high, so you gotta reach this. It's not easy, but it's a challenge in a way. What's your favorite Halloween album? Oh, I don't know. It's very hard to say after all those things. I mean one of the the albums that impresses me the most not only from the music but from the time we were uh, uh, stucking in was like right after Chameleon no right after was it right after the uh, Pink Bubbles or right after Chameleon The Masters yep. of the Rings oh yeah when that's Andy a great album saying, yeah. uh, saying, saying I'm coming to Halloween but then we we gotta be Halloween and we gotta give the people the impression we're right Halloween songs and we should go back to what Halloween can do best so that album was kind of fresh and well done you know it I kind of it, it kind of gives the impression that we're back on track again you know and 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 that had a big impact on me gambling with the devil was an incredibly strong album uh, from later in the band's career as well, what, what what do you put that? I don't know. What, would you call it a resurgence? Would you would you call it that? But you know what I'm saying. Like it's it's rare to have a band come out with one of their strongest albums, like 15 or 16 albums into their career. But you guys did it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a logical step which we did after after what we did before in the way I would say. And you can you can always tell people you. Trying, you're going to do your best album. You might think it's the best album, but it might not be the best album. But this time, everything went well. You know, you, you mm. cannot really force it to be like this. We just write those songs and hoping that everybody likes it, hoping that the best is coming out of it. You know, it's mm. just always a challenge to try your best and to to make the songs as interesting as they can be. You know, it's not easy, but you always try. You just keep trying. That's all I think you can do, especially with a, such a legacy as what you guys have got. I mean, what else? What other options are there? Mm, it's you know? just trying to give your best, and that's what that's what at that time it was like the best we could deliver. You know. Mm-hmm. I'll make this, this my final Welcome question. <laughs> Look, I'll make this my final okay. question for well, you. Well, the final yeah. question is called uh, "Where's the G spot?" <laughs> well, brother, when you when you find it, you tell me. <laughs> Halloween doesn't know yet. After all those years. <laughs> well, I guess this is a bit different to the G spot. G spot, but uh, look, there are some diehard. There, there are some diehard fans in Australia. I'm sure you know that because Australians do travel a lot, and so you probably met some Australians in Germany and on the road and the like. Yeah. But has has Australia yeah, always? Been- Always yeah. when Bakken is coming up, we meet a lot of Australians here as well. <laughs> I reckon you, you go to you go to almost any metal gig, you're going to see a you're going to see a, like you know not a lot, but two or three Varken t-shirts in Australia. I'm talking oh, about like so people you, travel you, and they come back. You, you, it doesn't need to be at a rock concert. You you see them in in train stations and in supermarkets already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you guys have been part of Varkin's success. I mean, you've appeared there many times. Yeah, it's because, I mean, I have a special relationship because I was, uh, I'm living quite close to it. It's one hour from my house. Uh-huh. And I yeah. was like, I was always like, I was there when, when the backstage, when the nowadays backstage area 
when this this was a field where the stages are, you mm. know, okay, where yeah. the stages were in back in the eighties or late eighties, and I was there with a couple of bands, even tuning their guitars just to be there. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah. Before, but, we were, before we were playing there. But I, I need to ask about Australia, though, more specifically. But have we have we been in important territory? I know you've got important territories everywhere, but do, would you classify Australia as an important place for Halloween? For me, it was interesting to play in the same bars in the same club where ACDC, uh, Cold Chisel, and and Jimmy Barnes were playing it when we were there for the very first time. And I know some mm. of the bars were very old; they must have been there. <laughs> that was yeah. kind of special for me in a way. You well, know? There you go. Yeah, no, that's and, nice. Yeah. I, well, it's 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 and at the moment it's very tough. Distance is really there. There is no longer distance for us. But if there's a chance, I would love to come back. You know, we've been there. I think we've been there twice. And coming back there with the old guys, you know, with the old new guys, would be mucho fun. And I hope this is going to happen for the next year or maybe even the year after that. Hopefully, everything goes. It becomes a bit more easy again, so we can come over, saying hello, drinking some ice cold ones, doing some great shows. You know, everybody would love it, I guess. Yeah, well, we'd love to have you down here. There's heaps of fans here. You see Halloween t-shirts around, brother. They're, they're here. People are here, and they they recognise the the, yeah. the crucial yeah. importance we, of the band. We we try to do our best. I think from from. Japan, the distance will not be as far, wouldn't it? No, it's just up the road in a global sense. In in a way, yeah. if nine or ten hours is just up the road. <laughs> well, it's on the same same. It's what on the same time try? zone as us. Yeah, it's on the same time yeah, zone well, as. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So it's, we'll so try. It's, we'll yeah. try. Yeah, well, f- fingers crossed that happens, man. I know people want that to happen, and uh, as I yeah. say, man, you you, you know, you've, you've met them, you've met the Australian fans, and no doubt they've said the same thing, man. So, fingers crossed that that happens in the near future. <laughs> All right, I hope so. I'm really looking forward to it. Mm. Mate, it's mm-hmm. uh, been a pleasure. I've long looked forward to having a conversation with you. When John told me that I'd be talking to Marcus from Halloween, I was stoked because I just admire your bass <laughs> playing so much. So, um, and 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 what the band's accomplished too, man. From a band from Germany, keeping the heavy metal flame alive for so long. Um, you've done yeah, a lot, Marcus, yeah, yeah. And, and I hope you, I and, hope and you get that play, sense. You play a nice precision bass, don't you? I play music, man. Music man basis. Oh, all right. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had, I had one. <laughs> it, pro- it probably doesn't suit metal, though, a lot of the time. Not a lot of – because it's got a specific tone. Uh, it might be – you know, I played one and it was working very well. Mm. I've I've played them for about twenty two years now, and I've never looked back. I used to use I think I think Warwick are from Germany, aren't they? I used to play a Warwick, but it it just sat perpendicular to my body, and I couldn't play it. And I switched to Music Man, and and I've just never looked back. You know, five string and four string, I love both. Yeah, they're awesome. All right, there you go. There it is. Yeah. All right then. Hope to see you there. Absolutely, I'd love to catch up for a cold one, as you say, mate. So, uh, as I say, I'll, yeah, look for, yeah. I'll be in the audience regardless <laughs> when you come down. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, brother. No worries. Talk to you again. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name's Andrew Mackay Smith. That interview subject was the bassist from Halloween, Marcus Groskopf. Thanks so much for tuning in.